gentlemen, welcome back to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. The only show that broadcasts live from a secure bunker located in parts unknown. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and I am joined by the new beast from the east, Tommy Bam Bam Fierro. Tommy, how you doing? <laughs> like I said last week, man, I look forward to uh, my introductions every week. As long as you don't call me uh, a piece of you-know-what when you introduce me, I think we're good to go. <laughs> Listen, Bam Bam Bigelow, the beast from the East, he's from New Jersey, correct? Yeah, man. I was actually, I was actually having a conversation with, uh, who it was, the other day I was talking to someone about like back in the day when you know, I was promoting a lot of uh, wrestling events and conventions. And back then, there was so much talent that lived up this way that you didn't have to fly in and you didn't have to, you know, put up in a hotel that lived right in either New Jersey or New York in the area. Uh, Tito Santana obviously lives in New Jersey. King Kong Bundy lived in New Jersey. Jimmy Superfly Snuka lived in New Jersey. Bam Bam Bigelow lived in New Jersey. You had uh, Nikolai Volkov lived in Maryland, so he would drive up. Uh, Captain Lou Albano lived in New York, so he would drive down. There was just a ton of people that lived in this area back then uh, when I was promoting shows. I was just talking about that. But, yeah, Bam Bam definitely was uh, one of the the big guys in New Jersey. And and Gorilla Monsoon lived in New Jersey as well. Look at you. You were just surrounded by talent. Like yourself. Well, only when I'm on the show with you, Tommy. (laughs) So how was your week? You can't, you've just come off a very successful signing with the Powers of Pain, the Barbarian, and the Warlord, two guys who back in the day were big, monsters, scary looking. And I have to say, watching the signing, they still looked massive. These guys still look big. How was it being in the same room with the Powers of Pain? Oh, they were great, man. They were really, really great. Uh, like I, I told you off the air right before we came on, the first five minutes, they weren't really talking very much. And I'm saying to myself, oh, no, this is this ain't, this ain't going to be good. And then, man, it just exploded from there. Uh, these guys were great. They were very interactive with the fans. Like you said, off the air, the Barbarian was holding up every picture to show the fan after he signed them. Uh, the Warlord was telling a whole bunch of different stories. The guys were just they were just fantastic to uh, work with. And uh, if you didn't get an opportunity to see that signing, it'll be available later this week on 80swrestlingcon.com. And uh, for any upcoming signing as well, uh, all you have to do is head over to that website, 80swrestlingcon.com, pick out the picture that you'd like to order, and you can watch them sign it live on the date and time that they're scheduled to be on our Facebook page. And then we ship it out to you after the signing. But yeah, man, Powers of Pain were great. Uh, it was a little scary, Jen. I didn't tell you this, but you know, there was some snow in New Jersey on Monday. And, you know, anytime in the winter, obviously, you, you, you never know what's going to happen with the weather, especially up this way. And it started snowing, and I'm like, oh. And, and it, it's, it's nerve-wracking because you're not only worried about one airfare, you're worried about two airfares because they're coming in from different locations, you know. So the Barbarian got in okay. My uh, my guy texted me, said he's barbarians, and I'm like, oh, good. And then, uh, like, maybe a half hour later, I had a call. So, oh, there's a problem. So, what's the problem? Uh, the Newark airport wasn't receiving planes because of the snow. So, Warlord's plane got rerouted to Washington, D.C. 
Uh, so now, dude, now I'm stressing out. And in, 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 in a virtual signing, you know, it, it's really, really tough when it's a tag team because it screws everything up because, yeah. uh, you know, you're only going to have one half of the signature on these pitchers and items that are being sent in from all around the world. So now I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, I'm going to want to have to refund everyone. Everyone's going to be upset. There's not enough time to get someone else here because it was at that point I was still waiting for the plane to take off at three o'clock in the afternoon from, from Washington, DC. And I'm like, Oh man, I was, I'm thinking like in my head, what am I going to do? I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I, I can send all the pictures, the eight by tens. I have, you know, I'm just thinking back up at that time. You know, I have, I have barbarian sign everything, the pictures, and then ship all the pictures to warlord and have him sign them and send them back. I, I the other stuff like the, the figures and, and you know the other collectibles that are non-photos. I don't want to risk sending out in the mail and you know be, have someone else be responsible for packaging them the right way and sending them back to me because it's my responsibility having those items. You know, so like I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I going to do? But luckily he got back on time. But uh, I was I was worried because you know he probably was very grumpy being stuck in. A, he's, a, he's a gigantic. I'm a huge huge guy. He looks like he can beat anyone on TV right now. And I'm like, I'm worried about like, you know, what kind of moods he gonna be in because he's stuck in the airplane all these hours, hasn't eaten, but he wound up being super, 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 super friendly, super cool, very down to earth. They were both extremely in good moods. They both had a great time and it just went over really well. Well, I'm glad he made it in because like you said, that's something you definitely worry about with the weather and travel. And when you have so many moving parts, if someone can't get there, it definitely would have uh, thrown a wrench into the situation. I have to tell you, one of the things that always surprises me about these virtual signings is these wrestlers spent so many years on the road, so many days out of each year, traveling to different cities, cities that most of us have never heard of, much less been to, and their memories are so good. Like the warlord could tell you a story about a specific arena that a fan asked about. And so even after all these years, to have all those memories where he can bring back an arena, can bring back an opponent. He was telling stories about when he first got into the business and who he wrestled and how he was green. And they had to tell him, you know, ease up big man. And he remember all these details from his career, which is just super impressive. I can't remember what I had for lunch last week. And this guy's pulling out details from a specific arena back in 1985. And so that's always yeah, one of my favorite parts. That's always yeah, one of my favorite parts. Barbarian was too, man. They, they were great. Uh, that, that's one of the big things about these virtual signings, Jay, is that, you know, they're, it's very interactive. You know, they answer a lot of questions as the, the three hours is going by. Our next one is going to be on Monday, March the 8th. I'm excited about this one. We're going to have Wendy Richter, who doesn't do many appearances at all. So it should be very interesting having her on Monday Night Virtual on Monday, uh, March the 8th. And you can head over now to 80swrestlingcon.com, pick out a photo of her, and, and she'll sign it to you personally. And you can watch her live. She'll give me a shout-out as well. And you still got time to still mail in your own items and get signed as well. But uh, let's get down to business, man. The last couple episodes, Jay, we've been covering old 80s wrestling pay-per-views. A few weeks back, we did WrestleMania 2. Last week, we did WrestleMania 3. We're getting great response from these old pay-per-views that we're, we're, we're bringing back and talking about uh, so much that we're going to do it again this week right here on the show. 
That's right. You know, you're talking about snow in New Jersey. Here in Minnesota, we're coming out of what they've called that polar vortex where we've been down in the negative 20s. It's starting to warm up here, but we're in the dead of winter. It's February. We're all hunkered in. And so we're going to turn the heat up just a little bit. We're going all the way into summer. SummerSlam 1988, to be exact, the very first installment of the SummerSlam pay-per-view, and it was a good one. Tommy, are you ready to jump into this? Yeah, man, absolutely. One of, one of the original uh, Big Four WWF pay-per-views. As you know, there was only WrestleMania up until 1987. After WrestleMania three, they expanded it, and they debuted the Survivor Series uh, that fall on Thanksgiving evening. And uh, that was the two pay-per-views for 87. And then 88, they added the Royal Rumble to the mix, and they also added SummerSlam. So this is the first SummerSlam, 1988. What, what, right off the bat, Jay, what, what strikes me odd, and not odd, but more interesting than odd, is that this pay-per-view took place on a Monday night. It was at Madison Square Garden on August 29th, 1988, a Monday night pay-per-view. That is interesting. I guess I had not uh, realized that, but that is very interesting. You know, as a kid, it always interests me that a lot of the pay-per-views took place on a Sunday night as well because I always had to go to bed because I had school the next day, and I always wished they were on a Saturday or a Friday night. But Monday does seem uh, like an odd time to to hold the inaugural episode of of a SummerSlam, but it obviously worked. I mean, it was a huge success. And back in the 80s and, and early 90s, with there only being the four major pay-per-views, like these cards always meant something more because they would be the buildup for months at a time storylines before we would have the payoff. Now we have a lot of uh, pay-per-views or a lot of special big type events uh, on the WWE network. And so you don't have time for that great buildup. And so I liked as a kid that there was only these four. And so you knew that these always mattered and they were always must see. Absolutely. And you hit the nail right on the head, Jay, talking about how they, you know, months to build these matches up. That's what a big part of what's missing in uh, today's wrestling is just, just, you know, putting time into building up an angle in a match. I know it's, it's, it's tougher to do uh, nowadays because there's monthly pay-per-views and there's so much programming on TV, Raw, SmackDown, uh, you know, original content for the WWE Network, NXT. I know it's it just, it's so much stuff. So I know that it's probably next to impossible to not have guys touch for months and months, but back then it made it so special because back then, you know, another thing that's missing in, in today's wrestling is, you know, the squash matches where you had the enhancement talent put over, you know, all these big stars every week, which made them seem larger than life characters, you know, and it, it could have been anyone, even like, you know, I'm just throwing this name out there, for example, power and glory, you know, they, they, they defeat a, 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 a job team and it just made them seem like bigger stars. Like, those enhancement talents were so critical to the success uh, of of that talent back then, building them up to be larger than life. And you didn't have to give away, you know, all these big matches on TV. Uh, you'd have to either go to the arena to see them. And, and back then you didn't, you know, WWF didn't go to uh, a town, you know, once or twice a year like they do now. I mean, back then it was monthly. They'd come to your town every month, every month or every six weeks 
and you'd have to go to the arena to see the stars wrestle each other. And, you know, you, you'd even have, you know, a disqualification and you have to come back the next month to see, you know, the return match. So it, like just that aspect of, of the business is, is sorely missed. But yeah, I mean, back then when there was only four pay-per-views, it made it mean so much more. You're absolutely right, man. It was a simpler time and sometimes less is more and, and you would have a hard time. Today's fans wouldn't, wouldn't tune in for a Monday Night Raw where they saw a bunch of squash matches. It, it just can't be done in today's climate. But back I'd, then... I'd start, I'd start watching it again if they did that, honestly. Would you really? I really would. I, I, would, I would start watching it again. You would watch a Braun Strowman take on a Jay Morozik on a Monday night? Only if it was Jumpin' Jay. Well, and, and, and you know I'd hate to see Braun Strowman get, get squashed in that match, but <laughs> you, you got to book what the people want. I just, I just, I just missed every aspect of, of, of 80s wrestling, and, and I'm sure you do. I know you do, and I'm sure everyone that's yes. listening does because you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't a fan of 80s wrestling. So I just think that there's so much – uh, so many different ways to incorporate what made wrestling so successful in its heyday into today's wrestling, whether it be introducing, reintroducing more squash matches or the uh, concept of bringing a manager back into the, the mix the right way, like a Bobby right. Heenan or Mr. Fuji or Jimmy Hart or Freddie Blassie or Lou Albano, or, you know, the talk show segments like the brother love show and Piper's Pit. And I'm not just talking about having a wrestler in the ring talking. I'm talking about building a set and making it special like they did back then. There's there's so many different ways to incorporate uh, the golden era of wrestling in today's wrestling, but that's for another episode. But uh, yeah, man, let, let's, let's get into and dive right into SummerSlam 88. Let's do it. I'm ready. This was a good one. Yeah, uh, the, the, the hashtag, not hashtag, there was no hashtag back then, but the, the, the tagline back then for this pay-per-view was where the mega powers meet the mega bucks. And mm. uh, it was built up as a big tag team match real quickly. I want to make mention Jay. Uh, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but this, I'm not sure if it's an urban legend true or some truth to it, but originally I heard that they were trying to get Ric Flair from the NWA for this first SummerSlam to challenge Randy Savage for the WWF world heavyweight title and at the last minute, Flair decided to stay uh, with the NWA, and then they switched it to a tag team match. Did you ever hear anything you, about that? I have heard that, that, and I don't know if it's a if it's an urban legend or if it's true, but I, I have heard that same thing, and it was a right about the time where I think the Crockett promotion was selling to Turner, and Turner said if Ric Flair wasn't part of the deal, he wasn't going to buy it. And so then Ric Flair just kind of out of um, – just good nature, like just being uh, true to the Crockett promotion, decided to stay so that they could get the the sale done and then uh, get over to Turner. But yeah, wouldn't that have been a game changer if Ric Flair would have came over with the championship belt and would have been champion versus champion against Savage in SummerSlam 88? That would have been insane. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's start with the first match of the evening, SummerSlam 88. It was the British Bulldogs uh, against the fabulous Rougeau brothers. It ended in a 20-minute time limit draw. Great match. I remember this match. I watched it probably a year or so back. Really, really strong tag team match. What makes it more interesting was the behind-the-scenes heat uh, between uh, 
uh, dynamite kid in the in the Rougeaus. I'm sure you heard the stories that happened with those guys back in the day. Yeah, there was some real life heat between those guys. And Dynamite Kid is not somebody uh, who I would want to be in a feud with. And so I think he got pretty heated. This match is bittersweet to me as I look back because I believe this is the last pay-per-view match uh, for the Dynamite Kid. I think he leaves the company shortly after. And so I didn't get to enjoy uh, the British Bulldogs as a team uh, as much as I did Davy Boy Smith as a singles. I was a little bit older, so I got to see most of his singles run and enjoy that. And so I came in to wrestling on the tail end of the British Bulldogs tag team career. And so this one's bittersweet that, yeah, Dynamite Kid is on his way out shortly after this match. But what a great tag team match to start a pay-per-view. Like this whole card has got big names throughout it. And when your opening match is the Bulldogs versus the Fabius Rougeaus, like you know it's going to be a good show. Absolutely. Uh, next up was Bad News Brown defeating Kent Patera. You know, if if you did a, a SummerSlam history with someone uh, that maybe not have followed it right from the beginning, they probably never would have thought that Kent Patera was in a SummerSlam, but uh, he was against Bad News Brown. And uh, I know we spoke uh, briefly about Bad News Brown in, in past episodes. Uh, he was such a tremendous heel. I loved his work. I loved his character. And Ken Patera is uh, is someone that I, I was a big fan of as a kid when he, you know, came back to the WWF. And uh, I remember his Coliseum video came out. That was the, the the life and times of Ken Patera, something like that. I remember that his 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 LJN figure. We actually have Ken uh, for an upcoming '80s wrestling con uh, signing. Uh, virtual signing coming up as well so i'm very interested and excited to have him and yeah this is just a, a really i don't want to say odd match uh interesting match because you just don't really the the, the name is bad news brown and ken Bateria really don't gel that well together which makes it a unique match in my opinion it is a unique match and i think ken Bateria is another guy who this might be his last pay-per-view with the company before he kind of fades off from the WWF landscape. I think there's a handful of guys who this is their last uh, major pay-per-view before they kind of head into some kind of semi-retirement and they're replaced by some younger upcoming talent. But Bad News Brown is one of those guys who never really broke mainstream stardom, but he had huge matches. Like he would, he would feud with Hogan. He would feud with Jake the Snake. Like, he had big marquee matchups, but he's just one of those guys who played his role so well. You believed he was a tough guy from the streets. You believed he was getting in the ring uh, to deal out some punishment. So, yeah, the bad news, Ken Patera is an interesting matchup when you look at the match. Uh, but, again, bad news was a tough guy, and he got Patera with that ghetto blaster of his, which I loved as a kid, that move. Oh, yeah. And next up was Ravishing Rick Rude against the Junkyard Dog. Uh, again, you wouldn't think uh, if you're looking, if, you, if you're not old school like us or people that are listening right now, you might not even have remembered that Junkyard Dog was in a SummerSlam. He was, he was in the first one against Rick Rude, and Rude wins this one by disqualification, which you find odd if you're just reading the results. How did Rick Rude win by DQ over JYD? That's because Jake the Snake Roberts ran in and uh, you know, the, the DQ from there. I guess this is a good time to, to bring up 
the feud between Jake Roberts and Rick Rude. Rick Rude would always come out with his wife, Cheryl Roberts' pitcher, uh, yeah. spray on his tights. Just a fantastic, fantastic angle. Uh, I, I really, 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 I mean, it still sticks out to me to this day, uh, that angle and, and, and what a great role uh, it played in, in the product at that time. This is this was just beautifully done. Yeah, so Rick Rude and Jake Roberts are starting their feud. So in the middle of this match between Rude and Junkyard Dog, Rude kind of climbs up onto the second turnbuckle, and he pulls down the tights that he's wearing and reveals a second pair of tights underneath, and those tights have the picture of Cheryl Roberts airbrushed on them. Like, what a heel thing to do. Like, in the middle of a one match with a guy, you totally disrespect him by turning your attention to another guy you're feuding with, and you disrespect him by showing off a picture of his wife on your tights. And then, of course, Jake Roberts runs into the ring and attacks Rude, which is where the disqualification comes in. But just a beautiful storyline, beautiful heel move by Rude. Jake Roberts does a great job selling it. And I'm going to sound like a broken record because I think this is Junkyard Dog's last big pay-per-view with the company, too. I think he's one of the guys who had his huge run in the early 80s, was part of Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. He was on top of the world of wrestling down south. And then he's kind of fading off here and being replaced by those younger guys like a Rude and a Roberts. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think that might have been his his last appearance as well. So, yeah, a lot of newsworthy items uh, in this pay-per-view and next up we just spoke about this all fair right before we went on really odd tag team match uh the and i i don't even really remember if there was a face and heel in this i I don't think there was uh and i don't even really remember this match until i i was reading the results and it was the powers of pain who we just spoke about we just had them on our virtual signing this past monday who had uh their manager the baron in their corner, who is Baron Monreski, obviously from the AWA, uh, against your favorite tag team, Jay, the Bolsheviks, <laughs> Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov, who had Slick in their corner. Uh, really, 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 really odd match here. I do not remember there. I'm gonna have to, and I'm gonna have to go back and watch this match after we do this podcast. I don't remember there being a face team, and I do not remember the Baron being with the company that long. I think his run was extremely, extremely short. I'm talking about maybe like a month or two short. I'm not sure what happened or what led to him leaving so quick. Do you have any, he's a Minnesota guy. So do you have any insight on that? You know, he is a Minnesota guy. I've had the pleasure of meeting him. Um, but no, I have very little knowledge about his run in the World Wrestling Federation. He was huge here in the AWA. And then when he retired or semi-retired from the world of professional wrestling, he got a job at the Minnesota Zoo. And so I remember when you'd go down to the zoo on like a field trip, uh, if you knew who you were looking for, you could see the Baron uh, working at the zoo. He would drive one of the the transit buses that would take the group of kids from like the bus drop off to the zoo entrance. And so if you did knew you who ever, he was, did you, ever see, did you ever see him at the zoo? Yeah, I did see him, but I never approached him because his character in the world of wrestling was like, he was this evil dude uh, with the claw. And so you were scared of him. 
but it was cool that you would see him from afar. But I never approached him at the zoo. I met him later as an adult, him and his wife. Very nice man. But yeah, he had a short run in the World Wrestling Federation. I honestly remember nothing about this match. So just like you, I have to go back and rewatch it. But what I'm coming to the conclusion of as we talk each week is you might have underestimated the Bolsheviks' place <laughs> in the history books of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I might have, Jay. I, I want to <laughs> briefly. I briefly want to touch back on what you were just talking about with uh, Baron von Resky working at the zoo. What yeah. year was What year was this that that you saw him working at the zoo? Uh, how old were you? And obviously, if you're a wrestling fan. You knew who he was. And how odd and how exciting was it uh, to see him at the zoo? I know it's like a lot of questions wrapped into one, but I'm, I'm yeah. curious about this. It was during my elementary school year, so it had to be sometime early to mid-90s, and I, w- I went to a fairly small elementary school, and so I would say I was probably the one kid in my class who was really into wrestling, and so I was probably the one person who actually knew who he was and who I was looking for. Um, a lot of the kids they were into baseball or football, and so they knew of wrestling. They knew Hogan. They knew Ultimate Warrior, but they weren't up on the Baron. And I remember being once a little frightened because he was such a heel character Two, I remember being a little bit confused. Like if he's a pro wrestler, why is he at the zoo? And so I remember having some kind of conflict within myself. Like, is this like a part-time job? Is he, you know, wrestling the gorillas to stay in shape? Like what's going on here? But I remember it was a thrill. Like, I knew he worked down there. I, I had gotten the heads up from somebody. And so on the way down, I was hoping to see him. And then I saw him. Um, and like I said, I didn't meet him or talk to him then, but I did later in life. But, yeah, it's real kind of, as a kid, when you see somebody who you're, you associate in one world, outside of that world, it's a little weird. It's like when you used to see your teacher at the grocery store. It would just mess with you a little bit as a kid. Yeah, man, that's that's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, next up was what would turn out to be one of the greatest SummerSlam moments ever. The Honky Tuck Man defending the Intercontinental title originally was supposed to be against Brutus Beefcake. Uh, a week or two weeks prior to the SummerSlam match, Beefcake gets injured in storyline against Ron Bass. And going back and doing a little research before this episode, I read that Beefcake said in some interviews that he was swapped out for Ultimate Warrior because Ultimate Warrior was threatening to leave the company if he didn't get a title match. Now, I don't know if this is true because Warrior's still brand new uh, to the company at this point, and I don't know if he had the clout to command something like that. Uh, So I don't know if that part of the story is true, but it wound up being the Ultimate Warrior as a mystery replacement for Brutus Beefcake and Honky Tonk Man came out. I remember like with Justin, Honky Tonk came out, grabbed the mic. He goes, give me someone to wrestle out here. I don't care who it is. And then you hear silence for a, a, a couple more seconds. And then you heard that. And when you heard that, the place just absolutely erupted. And I remember as a kid watching it, I erupted. I'm sure you did as well. And everyone else watching around the world, and he comes in the ring, and he just makes super, super short time and work out of Honky. Uh, Honky at the time was holding the title for an extremely long time, 
and Warrior just squashed him in like 30 seconds, and it just it really, really, really put Warrior on the map as 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 the guy uh, in the WWF at that time behind Hogan, and uh, just perfectly done. I, there's so much I love about this match and this moment because this is like you said, this is one of the moments in SummerSlam history, and it's one of the moments in the Intercontinental Title history. It's just a, an iconic moment in wrestling in general. You have the honky tonk man who is in the middle or actually at the end, but we didn't know it of the longest intercontinental title reign in history at that point in his career. He's in the ring. He's wearing the red jumpsuit. No idea who his opponent's going to be. He says, he doesn't care. Bring out, bring out anybody from the back. And like you said, there's silence. And then that song hits. And there is no mistaking that song. Like if you're a wrestling fan from this era, the first three chords of that song, you know who's coming down. And he runs into the ring like a freight train. 31 seconds. It's a squash match. Honky never even gets out of his red jumpsuit. Just wham, bam, it's over. And Warriors on the second rope holding the icy belt over his head. And the place is going bananas. I think this is probably the biggest fan ovation of the pay-per-view. And we've got some big matches on this pay-per-view, but that surprise moment popped the crowd like no other moment on this pay-per-view. And people were ecstatic about what they were seeing. Honky did a great job selling it. Warrior did what he does best, short, explosive matches, lots of high energy. And then this is the start of the rocket of the ultimate warriors career from here. He's going to go on. He'll feud with honky for a little bit, but then he'll go on to ravishing Rick rude, which is my favorite feud of warriors, him versus rude. And then he ends up at WrestleMania against Hulk Hogan. And it all started with this major win against the honky tonk match. What a moment on this pay-per-view. Absolutely, man. And uh, I just want to make mention that honky tonk man should get a lot of credit for helping propel the career of the ultimate warrior. Because I can tell you right now, if it was and no disrespect, if it was say outlaw Ron Basque out there calling someone out and warrior came out and squashed him that quick, it would not have gotten the reaction it got uh, like he did with the honky tonk man, which goes to show just how over of a hail and character honky tonk man was. And uh, he really, really needs to get credit for helping uh, propel the career of the Ultimate Warrior, 1,000%. That's a fantastic point, Tommy. If it wasn't a heel that people wanted to see get beat, it would not have meant as much. But Honky Tonk was such a good heel. He was just that guy who you loved to hate, and you wanted to see him get beat. He'd call himself the greatest IC champ of all time, and it was hard to argue because he had the longest reign at that time. And so to see a freight train dressed in neon come rolling over him, like the crowd loved it. And you're right. Credit has to be given to the honky tonk man for being in that role and for being willing uh, to be that squash match to, to get the warriors career launched. Now, I think if you listen to some shoot interviews from the honky tonk man, I think he'll take credit for, for designing that match the way it is. Um, and I think he'll say that he didn't want to have a long match with the Warrior just because the Warrior was still a little green, still a little rough around the edges. But that squash match was perfect for his character, and it just propelled him from there. I loved it. Perfect. 
Uh, next up was a rematch from WrestleMania 4, pitting Dino Bravo and The Rock, Don Morocco. Uh, Morocco had uh, superstar Billy Graham in his corner, and obviously Dino Bravo had Frenchie Martin. USA is not okay. I used to love <laughs> when Frenchie Martin would hold those signs of USA not okay. And uh, there's two guys, especially Morocco, uh, that don't get their just due of being, you know, major players during that period. You don't really hear that much about either one of these guys. And Morocco especially uh, was a top heel and babyface for the company in that time. Uh, and here we are, fast forward to 1988. Uh, these two guys in here. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good little match. It was, and and this is the last time I'll say it, but I think this was Don Morocco's maybe his last pay-per-view too. I think he was on his way out as well, but he's one of those guys that helped establish the world wrestling federation into what it was back then. You had so many great role-playing characters who played their part beautifully and it helped build the entire attraction, the, the entire company. And I would put Dino Bravo in that category too. I know Dino Bravo had success before coming to the world wrestling federation, but once he got there and played that role as the Canadian strongman, like I love that character. He didn't go on to do great things in the World Wrestling Federation. He didn't, you know, have title runs or anything like that. But his spot was his spot, and he played it perfectly. And Dino and Don are both well-built human beings. They are both massive uh, men, and to see them kind of go toe to toe is a nice match. And the addition of the managers. Um, superstar Billy Graham, he was in the uh, commentary booth. So he wasn't, he didn't get to be ringside this time, but hearing him on the microphone and seeing Frenchie do their thing, it was a nice match. It was a great match. Oh, I'm sorry. I was mistaken. I, 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 I remember Billy Graham being with him at that time. I wasn't, I didn't realize he wasn't ringside. Sorry about that. I don't think, um, I think that was part of the, uh, I think that was part of the stipulation is that he had announcing duties, so he couldn't be there. Uh, and so there were some illegal antics going on by Frenchie Martin and superstar just had to look on from the commentary booth, um, gotcha. which ultimately helped give Dino the win, but good match. Yes. Next up was uh talk about good match. This was an awesome yeah. match. It was for the WWF world tag team titles demolition uh, who had both Mr. Fuji and Jimmy Hart in their corner. And we're saying Jimmy Hart because a few weeks prior to this, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Knighthart, they actually turned babyface a few weeks prior to this uh, pay-per-view. So now the Hart Foundation are now good guys against Demolition uh, for the titles. And this was just a fantastic match. Ended with Demolition retaining the titles after Jimmy Hart uh, threw in his megaphone and they used it to defeat the Hart Foundation. But this would just start the single, uh, the tag team babyface run of the hearts in which it would ultimately lead to Bret Hart becoming, uh, the top babyface of the company a few years later. I absolutely love this as a kid. Demolition was my favorite team in the early nineties. Bret Hart was one of my favorite singles wrestlers. And so I loved every part of this match. I love that demolition is in the middle of their long uh, month long over a year long, 
championship reign with the titles. I love that back then titles meant something and people would carry them. We just talked about honky tonk man carrying the title for the longest run at that point. Demolitions carrying the titles for the longest run at that point. And I love that. I miss that about wrestling when titles meant something and people would have these long runs and they would mean something. And I absolutely love that demolition, the heel team wins by cheating not getting caught by the referee. And so as a fan, as a kid, you didn't like the heels. And so you felt like, oh, they got away with something. It's not fair. And you felt for the Hart Foundation. As a wrestling fan looking back, I just love how it was done. I think I think it's a beautiful match. And, I, and I'm so happy it was on this pay-per-view and it was done the way it was done. Absolutely. Next up, the big boss man who had Slick in his corner against... The Birdman, one of your favorites, Jay Coco Beware. Love Coco me some Coco. <laughs> Coco did a fantastic job in this match, uh, really showcasing the boss man as a, as a future big-time player in the company. Uh, this was uh, a perfect opponent for boss man, who is relatively new with the company uh, at this time. Uh, really, really, really solid match uh, for what it was. Uh, Coco did a fantastic job elevating and showcasing the big boss man as a giant monster and just good, 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 good stuff. I was always a, a big boss man fan. How can you not love the boss man? Even on Monday night during the virtual signing, Warlord told a story about how good of a big man the boss man was and how he could sell. And then you have the contrast in size and style between these two you have what essentially looks like it could be a squash match as Big Boss Man took the early advantage, but he didn't pin Coco. He instead, he tried to go for more damage and, and miss, and then Coco kind of gets on the, the rebound and has those beautiful drop kicks that the Boss Man can sell. Like you said, this helped. Boss Man's new. This helps kind of put him in the spotlight in the World Wrestling Federation. Both of these guys are such great performers. I don't see how they could have had a bad match. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, next up was Jake the Snake Roberts going one-on-one with Hercules. This was right before the the main event. Interesting placement on the card. Uh, But you look at it this way, Jay. At this point, Warrior is just starting to really come up. Uh, He wins the the title earlier in the show. It's hard to say outside of Hogan and Savage. Probably Jake was number three at that time. If you think about it, as far as, you know, the top baby pieces go, he was red hot at that time, especially working with Rude, who was a hated heel, and that angle and storyline was so great. You know, Jake was right at the top of the heap at this time. He was, and I think that's part of why you got to see him twice on this pay-per-view. You know, he did the run out with Rude, and so you got to see him there. Fans were excited. Then he's got, yeah, the, the, car, the, the match right underneath the main event. And so he is red hot at this time. And so you need him on your pay-per-view. And so it was nice that we got to see him twice. Obviously, his feud with Hercules isn't as prominent as the feud that he has starting with Rude. But I'm a fan of Hercules' work. We always talk that he's one of those guys that doesn't get enough credit. Um, He's a good worker. He's got a good physique. Uh, He could move in the ring. And so it's a nice matchup between Jake Roberts. It's not a marquee matchup by any means, those two names going head-to-head. But it highlights Jake Roberts. Uh, and it gives him a nice win here with his DDT. Absolutely. And then the main event of the evening, it's a big one, Jay. It's a big it's one. The mega, 
the mega powers, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in their corner, taking on the mega bucks, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, who had both Bobby the Brain Heenan and Virgil in their corner. Jesse the Body Ventura serves as a special guest referee. A lot of moving parts here, Jay. Lots of moving parts. And what I like about it, um, or what I find interesting, is you have two tag teams headlining this main event that aren't really classic tag teams. They're two guys put together. But the Mega Powers is one of the biggest things in professional wrestling in the 80s. And then the Mega Bucks were also just as big on the heel side. I don't know if you remember the arcade game, WWF Superstars. Oh, yeah. But the goal of that arcade game was to get to the match where you face the Mega Bucks. And so I think it's so neat that for teams that were just kind of formed by two, two guys who have great singles careers kind of formed together in this storyline, they did so much with it. They put it into a, a video game. You know, they're selling a, a pay-per-view based on these two teams. And so I love that. But yeah, the moving parts, the secret weapons, the things that happen in this match, it's just great storytelling because it furthers some uh, rivalries. And it also is leading towards one of the biggest payoffs and one of the greatest storylines of all time. And so this match is awesome. Jay, question for you. You were just talking yeah. about the, the video game. Who did yeah. you who who was your two guys that you picked when you were playing the game as a kid? I'll tell you my two. I always usually picked Mr. Perfect and the Ultimate Warrior as my two guys. You went Mr. Perfect and the Warrior over you never picked you weren't a Hogan guy? I for some reason as I, I could be wrong because I was just a kid, but I always remember picking Perfect and Warrior for some reason as a as a team. Well, this game is such a a classic game, uh, and I actually have a version on my my Mac computer that every once in a while I'll log into and play. And it's got the the graphics of this game. I know you asked me who I was, but now I'm on. I'm just excited about this game now. The graphics on this game were so much better uh, in my eyes than other games that were available at that time. And granted, part of it was it was an arcade game, and so you'd have to go to the arcade. And they would have a little bit uh, better things built in. And it came from Japan. And so they really spent some time on it. Um, but I was definitely a Hulk Hogan guy and a Warrior guy. Those would have been my two guys in this game. But the lineup, we could spend a show talking about kind of classic games. Because the lineup of this game is so enjoyable. Uh, and the characters that are in there. And the way that they have it orchestrated. And the voiceovers, which are awful, but still great at the same time. But yeah, I was a Warrior Hogan guy. Yeah, man. I just... Man, that game, that game brings back so many memories. I, I, as 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 you know, and I've been, we've been briefly mentioning it here on the podcast the last couple episodes. Uh, I'm getting ready to open a wrestling uh, merchandise store in New Jersey called the Wrestling Collector, and uh, I, I I I would love Jay to track down, and they're out there, but they're a lot of money. Track down the actual arcade game. Uh, and bring it into the store and, and have it on display for people to play. Um, I found one that was, I believe, in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it was like twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing, the thing is, it's not even the the money issue. 
because it, it would be so cool just to have that there. Uh, the thing was I'd have to go down there and pick it up because they're not, you obviously can't wrap up a arcade right. game and, and bring it and put it in the mail, you know, or UPS or FedEx it. So I'm going to, you know, keep checking and hopefully one day I can find one that's in the either New York, New Jersey or Pennsylvania area and, and bring it into the store, man, because uh, I don't even care, I don't even care about uh, the customers playing it. I want to play it. So uh, I, just think, I just think it'd be so cool to have that in the store. So uh, that, that would be, be something down the line. If you could get that arcade game in the wrestling collector store, can you imagine just the, the feels that would come back to people as they walk through your door and they look over and they see the WF superstars arcade game in the corner. Oh my word. Talk about transporting yourself back to your childhood. That would be amazing. Yeah, man. I, I, I would love to have that. And, uh, who knows? Maybe in the future we, we will. Well, let's get back to the, the main event tag team match. Absolutely phenomenal job building this match up. And you're right, Jay. This this begins the planning of the seed. Well, WrestleMania 4 really began the planning of the seed. But uh, this even more so for the eventual, you know, split up with the mega powers. And I, I would probably say the, the most shocking part of this match was was part of the finish when Elizabeth uh, unveils a a bikini. Uh, You never, ever, 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 ever would think in a million years that she would do something like this. She was such a quiet, reserved woman. This was a fantastic part of the finish for this match. It was. And, you know, the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan uh, in earlier promos would say they had a secret, you know, a secret weapon and they would reference a teeny weeny polka dot bikini. And then when it happened, Andre the Giant, uh, Million Dollar Man and then and referee Jesse Ventura do such an amazing job of selling it. Like they just stop what they're doing and they're looking at each other and they're looking at each other and they look at Elizabeth. It completely like halts what they're doing in the ring. And then you see Hogan and Macho Man on the outside of the ring do another Mega Powers handshake. And then they go into the finish. Like, it was just so well done and so well sold on the heels team side that you can't help but just enjoy enjoy it for what it is. And, and it, it's a great storyline. Um, and so, yeah, that she did that. Such a classy lady would do that to help her team win. And then that kind of plays into the lust in Hogan's eyes storyline as they go from there. And so it's just well-told storytelling at its best. Uh, and then the finish of the match when uh, Hogan slams Ted DiBiase and then Savage drops the elbow and then Hogan drops the leg and then Jesse Ventura, the heel referee, the slowest one count, the slowest two count. And then Macho Man actually has to push his hand down for the three count. Like, I just love all of it from, from bell to bell. It's just such great storytelling. That last, that last 90 seconds of that match, uh, you know, psychology-wise, you could put that up against anything. Oh, it's anything. so good. And when Savage hits the elbow, the crowd erupts. When Hogan drops the leg, the crowd erupts. When Savage makes Ventura count the three, the crowd that's, erupts. That's like, it's just, they just keep getting louder and louder. Like, you talk about building... Like they captured the crowd's attention from right away because of the storyline leading up to the event, but then they built it and built it and built it. So by the time the finish came, the place was going crazy. Like it's, it gives me chills to watch and just enjoy what they're doing. 
Yeah, I'm going to actually have to go back and watch that match because, uh, the, like I said, that the last 90 seconds with Elizabeth and then, yeah, you know, it's so good. Toro with a super slow count and Macho yeah. Man really, really, really rocks his arm down on that mat for the three count. And, just the, and then the celebration after the fact where, you know, Hogan, you know, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he, didn't he pick up Elizabeth for a split second and his hand was kind of like under her butt? Yep, and that's part of the footage they would later play to, yeah. to drive a wedge between them. And so, yeah, just the forethought that they thought about stuff like that um, was just amazing. And so, yeah, such a great match. And this is Andre the Giants on the decline here. So this is probably one of his last, you know, prominent, prominent spots before he really starts taking more and more time off. And he does his role beautifully. He takes a he takes a bump over the top rope at one at you know towards the finish here and so just well done on everybody's part absolutely and 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 like you said another thing about back then jay which was so great is like they they briefly 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 uh did that spot with hogan picking up elizabeth for a second and then you know the hand was on the butt area but then you wouldn't hear about it again for months right but in the back of your head you knew that happened. And then when they show it months later, you're like, oh, shit. I remember yeah. that. Like, I love how they took their time back then telling stories. Uh, that's a perfect example. We, 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 we were touching upon it at the top of the episode. It's just that they took their time telling stories back then. And I know it's tough to do in this day and age with, with so many different uh, shows and pay-per-views. But I think that's what made 80s wrestling so special is that you know, you were able to tell a story at a much slower pace, and it, it's like it's like watching your favorite TV show, man. Like when the episode ends, you just cannot wait to watch the next episode to see what's going to happen next. And you know, they were able to do that back then, and 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 that's what's missing with uh, wrestling today, man. I couldn't agree more. You and I. We're sounding like old men that talk about the good old days, but the truth is, like wrestling has changed, and there are things that made '80s wrestling special, and those are the things that we love, and those are the things that we would love to see back in the business. And storytelling is at the top of that list. Long, well done storytelling that then has a meaningful, memorable payoff. Like here we are, 30 years later, and we're still talking about these matches you know i wonder what people 30 years from now will be talking about my money would be there's gonna be people still talking about these type of matches because it just captures your heart as a fan of the business yeah and 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 no disrespect to today's talent because they're absolutely phenomenal and unbelievable athletes and performers but something tells me 30 years from now uh they will not be talking about uh you know this past sunday's elimination chamber uh, right. pay-per-view main event match. Right. I just don't think, I think it was just a different time then. Uh, that era that we talk about and we love is never going away, ever. Uh, that's what makes 80s wrestling so special. That's what makes you guys listen to this show because it's so special. And the <laughs> reason why we do the show uh, and, and just two, two men reminiscing their, their childhood memories and, and thoughts and opinions it's because 80s wrestling was, is, and always will be, in my opinion, the greatest era in the history of professional wrestling. Couldn't have said it better myself, Tommy. It's tough to top the kind of things that we got to talk about 
today. What an amazing time to be a wrestling fan, and what an amazing pay-per-view. For the first ever SummerSlam, man, what a great show. And it, it builds to other things. Warrior winning the title builds to his feud with Rude. Hogan and Savage going over on the Mega Bucks leads to their split at, at the upcoming WrestleMania. Like, it's just all so well done, uh, and it's just such such good stuff. I love it. Absolutely, and I enjoyed talking about it with you. And and, and I really, I really, I, I know the the listeners enjoy. It. I enjoy going back and reviewing these old pay per views as well because it brings back a lot of memories and, and names pop up that you get to talk about that you don't really get to talk about, like a Ken Patera or a a Bad News Brown, guys that we wouldn't have complete episodes on. But when their names are brought up during a, a pay per view like this, we can touch upon them and talk about them. And, and and that's one of the reasons I, I enjoy listening to uh, Bruce Pritchard's podcast because these random names get thrown up and you know he'll touch upon them for a minute or so. So it, it's it's fun to reminisce about our childhood heroes and memories. And like I said, we're taking requests. Any episodes that you would like us to talk about and cover, feel free to shoot us a message on Instagram. It's at 80s Wrestling. You can DM us and let us know what you'd like to hear. Uh, same thing on, on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, my personal Facebook, Tommy Fierro, with two R's. You can uh, friend request me on there or send me a message. Let me know you want to listen to. And uh, whatever it is, man, we, we'll talk about it. If it's 80s Wrestling, me and Jay are down to talk about it. We're all in. That's right. And so before we sign off, Tommy, what's the next big thing happening in your world of 80s wrestling. You've been working hard on your brick-and-mortar store, looking to get that open. You just came off of a very fun, successful virtual signing. You've got some big names coming up. What is on your horizon that's coming up quickly that you're you're most excited about? Well, March is going to be an extremely crazy month uh, for me. I have... um, Monday, March 8th, which you mentioned earlier, Wendy Richter is going to be doing a virtual signing with us. And then on March 22nd, I'm having a doubleheader, Cowboy Bob Orton, and making his first ever wrestling appearance anywhere is former WWF announcer Craig DeGeorge. I'm really looking forward to that. Tommy, let me ask you a question about let me ask you a question about that night. Yeah. So are these two guys going to be signing at the same time? Is is one going before the other? Like if I if I'm tuning in to watch, what can I expect to see on that particular virtual signing? They'll they'll both be signing at the same time. They will be fantastic. And then uh, another event we we add in March will be on a Sunday, our only Sunday event. Everything is on a Monday. It's called Monday Night Virtual, but we're doing a Sunday event called Virtual Mania. And that's going to be on Sunday, March the 28th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's an all-day affair, Jay. Woo! The Snake Roberts, Haku, Skinner, The Orient Express, and Max Moon. Max Moon, obviously, is Paul Diamond, who will be Kato as well in The Orient Express. So, uh, yeah, Virtual Mania is coming up in March as well. And if that's not enough, between those three big signings, one's a doubleheader, one's four guys, five guys. Uh, I'm opening up the wrestling collector uh, store in New Jersey uh, sometime in March. The, the working idea is still 
St. Patrick's Day. I'll announce it officially when uh, I see the progress in the store of the next week or two, but that's, that's the, the working plan. So between all that, brother, and doing the podcast in March, I might have to, I might have to have two Red Bulls or two Monsters <laughs> every episode we do. You might have to. That, that is a heck of a schedule. Uh, when it comes to the virtual mania, you're kind of doing the uh, the opposite of the World Wrestling Federation. Most of their big shows was on Sundays, and then this SummerSlam we just talked about was on a Monday night. You're doing the opposite. Your big shows are on a Monday, but you're switching it up to Sunday for this big event, um, which I think is just fantastic. My only concern is if you have your store open, somebody else is going to have to man the counter because you're going to be tied up all day long on March Yeah, 20th. man. I will. I will. Yeah. And somebody I, else might be running the, the register. Store, yeah. The store is actually going to be, once the store opens, uh, will be closed on Mondays. Uh, because of the the signings, well, I mean everyone needs a day off anyway. So Monday is a good day to have off. But uh, my signings will be on Mondays, so the store won't be open on Mondays. But we're gonna have more information in the next week or two, right here on the podcast about uh, the store. It's gonna be in Sussex County, New Jersey. So anyone that lives in the uh, New Jersey area, uh, definitely stay tuned for more information. I don't want to give the exact address out yet, Jay, only because I want to make sure the store looks great perfect before people start driving and people will start driving past it. Yeah. Uh, when, once you, once you give the address, so I want to make sure the outside presentation of it is all done uh, before I reveal the address. That's the, the only reason why I haven't revealed the address yet is because I want to make sure everything looks great before people start driving by. So then is it, is it safe to say, Tommy, for right now, your store is located in parts unknown. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, it was good talking to you, man. And uh, let, let's see what the listeners want to listen to next week here. So uh, any suggestions, again, shoot us a DM on Instagram at 80s Wrestling or one of our other social media pages. Let us know what you want to hear. And uh, we might broadcast it for you right here next week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.